Crave, let's give it up for our crew on the stage one more time. They crushed it. And they've got some more music coming at the end, so y'all stay tuned. This is our final Crave gathering of the year, and this will conclude our two-part series, Misfit Toys. Uh, if you weren't here last week and you're like, what is that even from? It's from the classic Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer special. Anybody not seen that? Has anybody already watched it this year? Okay, cool. So we're talking about being misfits, and last week we talked about Mephibosheth, right? Do you remember him? We talked about how he was in exile, how he was broken, how he was afraid, but ultimately God uh, restored him, uh, and he was able to feast at the table of the king, which was beautiful. I want you to see, and if you've got uh, these handouts that were in the back tonight, you can jot this down. This is our theme verse. Uh, I really want you to catch this first part that I've uh, bolded and italicized. It says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is encouraging. This is, these are words from the mouth of Christ. And some of us in this room, like right now, we feel like misfits. We feel like we don't belong anywhere. We're out of step. We're out of place. And you can begin to, to take a journey from feeling like, hey, I don't really belong anywhere to nobody needs me and I don't matter. And some of you have felt that, and some of you have walked alongside people who have felt that. And this is a little heavy, but I want to just say it right at the beginning of tonight. The number two cause of death among people your age, 15 to 19, is suicide. Suicide. And I say that because if you've ever felt like a misfit for a long period of time, you can, again, begin to believe, well, I just don't matter. No one would miss me. And nothing could be further from the truth. God sees you, knows you, and loves you. And I hope that you feel that here at Crave as well. The holidays can be a hard time for a lot of people. It's easy to, to sing Christmas music and get excited about presents under the tree. But man, the holidays can be hard. And so if none of this describes you and you're like, wow, what a downer, think about the people around you. It's your last week of school. Maybe you see that person with their head down a little more quiet than normal, talk to them. We talked about this as upperclassmen a few weeks ago on retreat. Loners are an emergency. If you see somebody by themselves, don't just ignore them. They may feel like that misfit, and you could be the agent that God's trying to use uh, to bring change into their life. Uh, tonight, I want to talk a little bit about the 12 disciples. And so before we go any further, I want to see if you can name the 12 disciples. So collectively, let's see if we can do this. Peter. Good job, Peter. Let's all give it up for Peter because he knew his own name. That's good. That's good. That's one. James and John. Yep. Okay, so what? Matthew, it's four. No, Mark was not one of the 12. I'm looking for the 12 who followed Jesus around. Thomas. Judas, and Judas, yes, Andrew, who, Bartholomew, I think we're up to 10, I think y'all are missing two, no, there was no one named Kevin in the original 12, Zacchaeus, no, did anybody say, did anybody say Thaddeus, okay, I'm so sorry that I missed you right here. 
Did anybody say Simon the Zealot? You said it in the back? Okay, uh, let's put those 12 disciples up on the screen for me. There they are. You guys did it. Uh, what I want you to know about this group is uh, there's a lot of tension in this group. And so we're talking about being misfits. And I want you to understand, some of these guys would have been potentially odd in the group that followed Jesus. Uh, some of these guys might have seemed like misfits. Uh, does anybody know the occupation of any of these guys? Okay, I heard, ta who was the tax collector? Matthew was a tax collector. What's significant about that? They were hated because tax collectors worked for Rome. So Rome had come in and they were occupying the city. They were occupying this country and they had subdued them. And so to be a tax collector for Rome meant you had basically turned traitor on your own people. So he would not have been the most popular of these 12 guys. In fact, he was probably towards the bottom of the list. Okay? Other jobs, what do we know? Fishermen. Who were fishermen up here? Simon Peter, Andrew, James and John. Those first four guys were fishermen. Okay? Now, it's, it's possible that Bartholomew and Thomas also did some fishing because when Jesus resurrects, uh, he finds those six guys out fishing. They could have also just been some dudes who like to go fishing. We don't know. Uh, anybody else? Do we know anybody else's occupation? Judas was an accountant. Judas, he held the money bag, basically, for the disciples, and it's noted that he was a thief, so that's exciting. And if you are familiar with his story, uh, that is probably one of the less uh, scary things about his journey. Anybody else up here, do we know about him? Who said zealot? Who was, the, who was the zealot? Simon. Now, zealots were interesting. We talk a lot about Pharisees and Sadducees, but zealots were particularly uh, passionate in their distaste for the Romans, so much so that they would incite violence, sometimes themselves, sometimes they would just kind of egg it on. You ever been standing there when other two other people are about to go at it, and you're just like, fight, fight, fight. Fight. That's what those guys were like. They would always try to stir up the hate against the Romans. If you remember when Jesus is about to be crucified and he, the people are told, I'll give you Jesus or I'll give you Barabbas. Barabbas was a zealot. And so people liked him. They wanted him to come back because he could help stir up more controversy against the Romans. But Simon was a zealot. Sometimes these guys would even carry knives in their sleeves. And they would step into a crowded space and they would assassinate somebody. And they would just fold that knife right back in and just disappear into the crowd. Uh, these guys were, they were a little wild. I guarantee you Matthew and Simon did not get along. There's some misfits in this group. There's some guys that we don't know as much about. We don't know a ton about James and Thaddeus and Philip and what, what they did. What I can tell you is, though, all of these men spent significant time with Jesus. And I want you to understand this. If you've got your hand out, uh, the first thing I want you to see about this group that Jesus chose was that it's an eclectic group. It's an eclectic group. That's not a word we use often, but I like it. And it, it looks kind of cool on the screen because it, it looks like it's misspelled, but it's right. It's an eclectic group. They're from all different walks of life. So if you've ever been in church and you're like, I just don't fit here, consider these 12 guys who most closely follow Jesus. There are probably a lot of people who thought, Man, they, they really, they just don't fit. The story of these misfits in the Bible, the same as with Mephibosheth last week, is, is our story. You may feel like you don't fit, but God loves you and longs to be with you. And in fact, this eclectic grouping is a preview of things to come. 
Uh, let's put this up on the screen. Revelation 7, 9 through 10. This is a picture of what it'll be like in the end. It says there's a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation, tribe, and people, and language. And it says they're all going to be standing in front of the throne talking about the salvation that comes from God alone. Hey, if you only like people who look like you, think like you, talk like you, come from the same exact background as you, eternity's going to be a little rough for you. It's going to be an eclectic grouping. And there's going to be people there that you're like, how did you get here? And if we're honest, most of us probably feel like sometimes, how, <laughs> how could I possibly be there? And it's not about you, it's because of what Jesus has done. It's what Jesus has done. So it's an eclectic group. I also want you to see this, number two. This group of men is unqualified. They're unqualified. And I don't have this as a fill-in on your notes tonight, but this is a statement I've heard often in church. Jesus doesn't call the, the qualified. He qualifies the called. Maybe you've heard that if you've been around church long enough. Jesus is not going out looking for the people who are already good enough. So if you've ever stepped into a church and been like, man, I got to have all my stuff together. I got to stop doing X, Y, and Z before I come to church, before I spend any time with Jesus. It's just not true. Jesus is the one who will change and transform you. You may have some foibles and some flaws and some failures in your past, and some of them even like right now. If you've ever been in that position where like you know you've messed up right before you come to church, and then you're just here and you're like, well, that's awkward because it's the only thing I'm thinking about. Yeah, you're unqualified. On your own, you're not good enough. But Jesus qualifies. Jesus sanctifies. He makes us more and more like him. Now, what I want you to see about this group of guys is something very particular. Let's put my next slide up there. So this is what the schooling would have been like in the ancient Near East. For all intents and purposes, what you're looking at on the screen is elementary, middle, and high school, okay? The Bet Sefer, the Bet Talmud, the Bet Midrash. In this first round of schooling, all these kids, 6 to 10, would go to school and they would memorize the first five books of the Bible. Six-year-olds. Most of us don't have five Bible verses memorized. These people had five books. It was serious. They took God's word very seriously. And so when you got to be 10 years old, if you demonstrated some aptitude, you were a good student, you would get to move on to the next round of schooling. If you didn't, they would say, hey, we love you, but go home and learn your family business. Go learn a trade. Go learn to make tents. Go learn to fish. Go learn to do something. Like religious schooling's not going to be for you. But for everybody who moves on to this second round, this house of learning, they would then memorize the rest of the Bible. Now, keep in mind, back then, that was what we would now call the Old Testament. So they had the entirety of the Old Testament memorized by 14. All of you high school students are 14 years and up. Can you imagine having the entire Old Testament memorized? And there's some long, he beget, he beget, he beget, he beget, like stuff that makes my eyes glaze over, and I studied the Bible and do this for a living. They had the whole Bible that they had at the time memorized. And at the end of that, the goal would be to become a disciple. And so when you were 14, if you were going to be able to pass into this final level of education, you would go to a rabbi, and you would say, I want to be your disciple. And they would question you, and they, and they would work through what you knew and what you believed and how you could explain your faith. It wasn't just enough to say, well, I believe. You had to be able to walk through it and defend it. And the best of the best would get to be able to become disciples. And the rabbi would say, come and follow me. And again, if you didn't make the cut, they would send you home and say, go learn the family business. You're not the religious elite. You're not going to be one of these disciples. It's significant because when we see Jesus call 
these men, what are they doing? The first couple guys he picks are fishing. So what does that tell us? They were not the religious elite. They weren't the best of the best. They were home learning the family business. One guy's a tax collector, one guy's a zealot, but, and we don't know about some of them, but these guys are fishermen. They're, they're common people. If you ever read the Bible, you're like, I just could not be like these guys. They're so religious. They're so perfect. No, they weren't. Society had said, you don't have what it takes to be a disciple. And Jesus says, come and follow me. And he makes that same invitation to us today. The last thing I want you to see about this group is they were young. This is a young group of men. Now, how do I know that? Let me explain a few things to you. And this is not all concrete, but there are pieces here that we can string together. There's an encounter that Jesus has where he's talking with Peter, and he's talking about paying taxes. Very exciting stuff. Every adult in the room is like, ugh, it's right around the corner. And there was a temple tax that had to be paid if you were over 20 years old. Now, all the disciples are present, and Jesus is having this conversation predominantly with Peter. And Jesus tells him, go pay the temple tax for you and for me. So is this concrete proof that only Peter was 20? No, but it's an indicator. Peter's also the only disciple that we're told was married, something that could happen when you were 15, 16 years old at that time. There's also countless times where Jesus refers to his disciples as little children. And you're like, oh, that's just so cute and paternal. It's also possible that they were just young, young men. There's time after time where Jesus has these conversations with them. He blows their mind. He takes them to Caesarea Philippi, this place of pagan idolatry, and none of these young boys would have ever been allowed there. Like just time after time after time, we see probably these guys were young. Most likely they were like 15 to maybe early 20s, some of them. So I want you to see like these misfits, these guys who were rejected, these guys who were young, you can live out that same type of thing. In fact, Paul writes in 1 Timothy 4.12 and says this, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. Like this is like probably the most common youth group verse ever. It says, be an example to all believers in what you say and the way you live and your love, your faith, and your purity. I, I want to brag on the people in this room and just tell you the things we do here at Brookwood would not be possible without you. Like I walk around on Sunday mornings, I see in our children's department, I think about Adventure Week, I think about the killer worship sets that we do, not just here but on main stage. You are a significant part of that. Don't ever let anybody tell you just because you're young to shut up and go sit in the corner and you'll be the church of the future. No, like you matter today. This matters a lot to me. And I hope you know that here. And that you won't always be at Brookwood. And that's okay. Maybe some of you, Brookwood's not even your church home. But I just encourage you, just because you're young, don't be discounted. Don't sit on the sidelines or on the bench. God can use you. Those 12 men shaped the world. They shaped the church as we know it today, and they were young. They were young. As we get ready to close out, um, just, just kind of thinking about how this series will land, I want you to see this passage from Ephesians chapter 4, the first four verses. Let me read this to you. It says, Therefore I, a prisoner serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you've been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. I want you to see just a couple things in this. We'll, we'll, we'll walk through. We're going to highlight one piece from every verse. Roll to my next slide for me. The first thing is that we're called to lead a life worthy of our calling. I just want to ask you, Christ follower, 
Are you living in a way that people can even tell that you know Jesus? Or is your faith just something you do on Sundays for a couple hours? Are we leading a life worthy of our calling? Roll over to my next one from verse 2. I want you to ask yourself, do these words I have highlighted on the screen, do they apply to you? Are you humble, gentle, and patient? This is my least favorite part of preparing this message. (laughs) Why are y'all laughing? These don't always describe me. They just don't. I'm prideful. I'm arrogant. I'm hot-headed. If you spent any amount of time with me, especially in a vehicle, you know this. I struggle, y'all. And so as I got to this point this week, like I'm confessing to you as your pastor, these don't always describe me. I'm, try- I'm trying to get there. Uh, I do the one-word challenge. Our whole staff here at Brookwood does. Instead of setting all these goals, we try to pray about what's one word to orient ourselves around for the year. And the one I landed on is gentle. I'm not a gentle person. But y'all can pray for me. I'm trying to get there. Let's keep going. Look at verse 3. Look at what I highlighted here for you. It says, keep yourselves united. I've harped on this all year. Our world is full of brokenness and divisiveness, and we love to draw lines and say it's us versus them. It's us versus the world, and that's not the right mentality. We are called to be united. And that's important because you look at this last verse, we can highlight verse 4. It says there's one body and one spirit. One body. It's not just all of us who believe a certain way about this thing over here in this body of Christ and then everybody who doesn't agree with us over here. It's one body. And we can disagree about some things, but our goal is unity. Our goal is to be a family. And we talk about being a faith family, but the reality is sometimes we're just ugly to each other. And it should be different amongst us. Your bottom line tonight, if you walk away with one thing from this year, And definitely from this series, I want you to write this down. Jesus wants me and his family. Jesus wants me and his family. Hey, family's tough for some of y'all. I know that. I don't have to do the raise your hand if you feel like thing because if I asked you to raise your hand if you feel like your your family's crazy and it's wild and it's nuts, like most of you would raise your hand. And you're about to spend a concentrated amount of time with them over these next several weeks. And some of us feel like, man, I just, this is not the family I would have chosen. But the good news is you can be a part of a family that wants you. Like Jesus chooses you. It goes back to our theme verse. We'll throw this up on the screen real quick. Ephesians 1, 4 through 5 talks about before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault. Verse 5 says, he decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. That's so beautiful to me. God wants you in his family. So hey, the band's going to start coming back, and there's a lot of them, so it's going to take a minute. Hang with me. Um, It's easy to say happy holidays. It's easy to say Merry Christmas. It's easy to sing joy to the world. But maybe you don't feel a lot of that joy. I sat down here this morning and listened to Birch talk to the middle school students about, like, what is joy? And and the answer he got back was happiness. And they're not the same thing. Happiness is circumstantial. Joy comes from something that cannot be shaken. Joy comes from Jesus. And you may feel like a misfit. You may feel like, hey, there's nowhere for me to belong. I just encourage you to reconsider. If you feel that way, we would love to get to know you here. We're all kinds of weird and jacked up here at Crave. I mean, that's, that's just true. I look around at some of y'all have been here for four years now. You're about to graduate. 
Some of you have been serving for years with me. I know myself quite well. We are not a perfect people on our own, but in Christ there's redemption because of what he did. Because Jesus came and was born, which is what we celebrate at Christmas, because of his perfect life, because of his death, because of his resurrection, there's a reason to have some joy. So if you don't know anything about how you can even take a step in that direction, grab one of our adults tonight and say, hey, I, just, I need to take a step with Jesus. Maybe I need to start following him for the first time. Maybe I need to repent and come back for the thousandth time. But wherever you are in your faith journey, please hear me say this. Jesus wants you in his family. Not just the person beside you who you think is perfect. Not just a pastor on a stage or the people who can get up and lead worship. He wants you. And he knows all of the things that are so broken inside of you. And yet he is the one who can restore you. So let me pray for us and then I'll turn it over to the band to do their thing. God, we do not deserve your love and yet you give it anyway. So many of us feel like misfits. So many of us feel like we just don't belong. And yet you choose us. Not by accident, not because we were the last pick. Jesus, you knew us before time began. And you chose to love us and we thank you for that I thank you that you demonstrated that love by coming to this earth by being born as that baby laid in that manger by living a perfect life by dying in our place Jesus thank you for your sacrifice and thank you that it wasn't in vain that three days later you rose from the dead and that salvation is possible in you Holy Spirit, I just invite you to move, to convict, to speak to, to lead, to guide each of us. You know where we are. We commit this time to you. It's in Christ's name that we pray.